0: Welcome to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. I'm your host, Deb Maisner. I'm a registered nurse, health coach, and alcohol-free badass. I have found that there's more than one way to address drinking. If you've ever asked yourself if drinking is taking more than it's giving, or if you've found that you're drinking more than usual, you may have reached your own alcohol tipping point. The Alcohol Tipping Point is a podcast for you to find tips, tools, and thoughts to change your drinking. Whether you're ready to quit forever or a week, this is the place for you. You are not stuck, and you can change. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. Today on the show, I have Carolyn Robisto. She is the host of The Brain Unblocked, the brain spotting podcast. She's a former gray area drinker and a habit change specialist, and I am delighted to have her on the show from her houseboat. (laughs) So welcome to the show, (laughs) Carolyn. Can you give a little bit of an intro about you, who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, thank you. I am so excited to be here because I'll tell you and I'll just share with everyone. There's something about my personality straight off the bat. I found you and immediately emailed you this like kind of squirrely email in hindsight. I'm like, there's a lot of like, very informal squareliness in this email so i just was thrilled that you know you weren't like okay weirdo and then you clicked delete that you were even interested enough that we could get together and have this conversation because if there's one thing i feel like i could talk about ad nauseum for all time it would be this idea of groundhog day drinking which i know we'll get into um And so I think like you and I were kind of discussing pre-show, it'll be a bit to reel me in. Maybe that's your task for today is to keep me on point with some questions that you think that your listeners would really benefit from. Like you mentioned, I am a former gray area drinker myself. I'm also a licensed therapist, although I'm not currently practicing. I'm only doing the habit coaching right now because as you also mentioned, we now live on a boat and keeping up with state licensing and things like that. And still doing therapy was just not a viable option that I wanted to keep doing. And so I switched over into the coaching. So now I can just serve people all over while I'm going all over. (laughs) And I just, I work mostly with similar to you, just the really high performing folks who don't identify as any sort of substance use disorder. They just are kind of like, sick of it you know <laughs> or they want to be sick of it i think it may be the like they just want it to be easier to not drink the way they're drinking
0: so absolutely well i'm so glad that you're here and i loved your email i was like oh she's fun <laughs> i like weird and squirrely and all of that so <laughs> yeah we find each other <laughs> exactly Well, then what was your experience with drinking and how did you get out of your own Groundhog Day?
1: Yeah, great question. So my experience was that everyone was doing it. It was the way we celebrated, socialized, get together, social lubricant, all of the terms that we're really familiar with. And I had been just kind of cruising along, drinking like the people around me, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more to, you know from time to time but for the most part I wasn't like the only person with you know an extra bottle of wine in case we ran out or whatever but I did start to feel like the only person who thought I'm not sure that I want to keep doing this Mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure that I would be able to still participate in my life without it and that was what was scary I remember one time we were on our way to a friend's birthday dinner in our friend group like we love birthdays we get together all the time for all the birthdays (laughs) and we were in the car on the way there and I was also while I would tell my husband like yeah I'm just not going to drink tonight or I'm going to try and take a break for a couple days it I was not very upfront with him about it early on I was very casual about it when inside it was really like eating me up I just felt like there was something wrong with me you know and I remember Telling him in the car that I was really nervous about the night. And it wasn't because I was nervous I was going to drink. It was because I was nervous that I would not be able to relate to these people any other way. And what I think comes up for a lot of people is well, what if people don't like me as much if I'm not drinking? And I had that, but I also had this really sobering thought of oh my gosh, what happens if I don't like them? when I'm Mm -hmm. not drinking. And here I've built, And it turns out I did. Like, I love them all. They are people, whether I'm drinking or not. But it was a fear that no one had ever really talked to me. I'd never seen it before. Like, I'd seen a lot of who am I without it? How do I fit in without it? But for me to think, what if I actually like secretly don't like these people? And now I've built a life full of people I don't like. And what would that mean for me? So again, luckily, that did not happen. But so I spent, I say I spent about two years trying to have a different, you know, drinking habit. And the first year was free, free challenges, 30 day break, you know, my friends and I would get together and we were very into like fitness and working out. And it was like, okay, we're doing like whole 30 and we're going to work out, you know, in this workout program and we're going to not only drink wine on Wednesdays or whatever. And I always found an exception. And so then I was like, well, maybe I need to do a paid for challenge. And so the second year I started doing the paid for challenges and I I did two of them and made it through them. And that was the first time I'd ever like completed one of the challenges, but then wound up back where I started, which is kind of like the birthplace of this idea of Groundhog Day (laughs) is basically to say like, and then we just wind up and it's like, it's like nothing has changed. And so at the same time, gosh, this is like a lengthy story. But at the same time, I was starting my private practice, or I was working in my private practice as a therapist, and I yeah. was getting trained in this modality called brain spotting. And I used it primarily with clients with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. And to use it with obsessive compulsive disorder, there was this component of helping a person like embody and really know something that they intellectually already knew, but were acting against, because that's effectively what obsessive compulsive disorder is. I know I've checked the lock, but everything in my body is screaming, I need to go check the lock again. And I thought, what if I tried this with alcohol? Like, what if, (laughs) what if it works the same? It's, I'm, you know, I know intellectually that it's not doing me any favors. I know it's messing with my sleep, but Everything in me was still saying, well, just that's fine. Then just, you know, pour a glass and then stop at one, which was never, you know, even if I, even if I had one, I was mad at myself for how hard it was just to have the one. And so I tried the brain spotting thing and it worked and I don't drink anymore. (laughs) So then I had to go down this path of like exploring, okay, where, how do I now figure out why the heck that worked and make it accessible. And it turns out there were already people using it for substance use disorder. So I was then able just to pull from them and modify it. So that's kind of a lengthy answer to that
0: one. (laughs) I mean, that's so interesting. I've heard, you know, you're talking about how brain spotting was for obsessive compulsive disorder and I've heard also like addiction in general being described as compulsive comfort seeking. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that you would take that method and use it for helping unwind your drinking and your thoughts about drinking, too. What is brain spotting for people who are like, what the heck?
1: Yeah, well, so let me let me come at it from this angle. Because sometimes I get a little bit geeked out on it, and then people fall asleep, and then they hit pause, and then they think, I'll listen to that later. (laughs) But we'll try and keep it engaging. One thing that I know for sure is that people who drink moderately are not actively moderating their drinking. It's because they they don't have to think, okay, I only want two, or I only want one, or I don't want any tonight. They just either want it or they don't, and that is an appropriate amount for them, right? Like I would say for myself now, like I just don't want it anymore. But when we come at it from this angle of, of moderation being kind of the gold standard, and I know you and I were just kind of talking about my moderation soap a minute ago, what what ends up happening is we give people this misguided information about how, what healthy drinking looks like or a healthy relationship with alcohol, what that looks like. and The truth is, so similar to obsessive compulsive disorder, like you said, the the truth is any sort of compulsive behavior, we're really, we, this is a grotesque oversimplification, (laughs) but I also, I used to be a kindergarten teacher too, so I love simplifying things. Yeah. (laughs) So if we just kind of separate our brain into a top and a bottom, the top is like the more adulty, logical language, action taking part of our brain like it's like the tasker like it gets a message and then it acts on the task and it's the last part to develop too which is why the more adulty one in my very scientific distribution (laughs) and the bottom part is just the more primitive part and with so brain spotting is a technique that uses certain eye positions that are unique to every person so it's not like oh if every like everyone listening, just look to the left and you'll feel this. It's very to every person. So you have to find your own brain spots. But so you use the connection of the eyes to that more primitive part of the brain to get to where the compulsion is living or where the information needs to be in order for it then to be what you act on instead of. So the the top part of our brain works about 23 times slower than the bottom part, which In terms of how our brain works, it's the difference between 30 milliseconds and 0.7 seconds. Like it's the the difference between a blink and two blinks. But when we look at it as 23 times later, it's effectively saying, okay, your bottom brain is going to decide you want to drink. And it's going to be 23 times longer before your top brain has a chance to even go, well, hold on. What are my strategies? I know I need to go for a walk or I need to, you know remember I have a mocktail or whatever it is. So it's a little bit like taking what we know about how the brain works. And again, I know you and I touched on this earlier too. It's this is not something that lands with everybody, right? Like some people are like, oh, I just took a 30 day break and I just didn't go back and it was great. And I am so happy for them. And then there are the people like me who we tried and it's like, why doesn't that work? And it creates shame. So and that's nothing wrong the industry is doing. It's just there are some of us that need a little bit of extra oomph, I guess. But so that's what brain spotting is. It's using eye positions to get into the part of the brain that this this stuff is living in. <laughs> it's kind of the best way to describe it.
0: Maybe what questions
1: do you have now that I've gone down that rabbit hole?
0: Well, I I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on that, but I just think the brain is fascinating. I describe it as the brain being a mullet, and so it's business in the front, party in the back. But I think it's so cool how like things like EMDR and this brain spotting are recognizing like we can change our brain and. I just think like the vision tie-in is so amazing. And I remember Huberman talking about, you know, he's Stanford neuroscientist and studies vision is his main thing. But he talks about our eyes being like just part of our brain. They're just the outside part of our brain. So we're recognizing like how we could use things like brain spotting and um, EMDR to change our thinking. And that's fascinating. Yeah. And my favorite thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I wanted to hear your favorite thing.
1: Oh, my favorite thing about, so I, I do get a lot of questions about brain spotting and EMDR and where are they the same and where are they different? And there, there, are there is overlap and there are really critical differences. But my favorite thing is that brain spotting is something that as long as it's not a clinical issue, we can learn as a self-practice. And so that's what I do with people is we do it in a group or we do it one-on-one. And I give people these guided audios and you learn how to do it yourself so that then you can start to apply it to other things. Because, I mean, those of us who have found a healthy relationship with alcohol, we know like that's not it. (laughs) That's just the first domino that falls. And then we're ready to show up and look at how to optimize other areas of our life. Right, and so the idea that we can learn this skill—I call brain spotting the last habit you'll ever need. Like, if I can make brain spotting a habit, then I can manage all my other habits through it.
0: Yeah, that is so cool. Well, we'll we'll have to do another episode on brain spotting, or do the, it sounds like you kind of need a video to do brain spotting. Okay, I have ideas, but okay. uh, <laughs> let's talk about the people that are stuck. So the Groundhog Day, as you say. Yeah. What, what are Groundhog Day drinkers?
1: So, okay, let's think about it in terms of kind of the, the standard approach for how to, how to get out of your drinking habit, right? Because I think that there's some missed, missed arrows that are pointing one way, and I want, I want us to point them a different way, right? Where what tends to happen is we think of it as like a stair step or a pyramid, is how we get presented this information. And it's okay, we're going to take a break, right? We're going to go 30 days without it. And then the next level of the pyramid is we kind of then have this understanding that, and then I'm going to feel so good that I'm not going to want it as much. So I'm just going to only have it in these healthy amounts. So effectively, I'm going to take it out completely and then I'm going to add it back in at a moderate level. And the expectation is then at some point we reach this top of the pyramid, which is I have a healthy relationship with alcohol or I'm happy with my drinking habit. And that's going to look different for everybody. For some of us, it's now I'm at zero. And for some of us, it's, you know, whatever. Well, we'll get into the types in a minute and then that'll kind of spell out what it is for some of us. But And I just like, there's nowhere else in the world that I can think of or that anyone has been able to present me with yet where the solution to something is to get rid of it completely and then bring it back a little. Like we don't go weed our garden and then plant a couple of weeds for balance. Like we get the weeds at the full, you know what I mean? And so it's just like, when we look at. That pyramid. If we could look at it in this different way, and I'll describe this way: if we see Groundhog Day as this like great nod to the 1993 Bill Murray Andy McDowell movie, where Bill Murray wakes up again and again and again and relives the same day. So Groundhog Day effectively is just in a Groundhog Day drinker is a person who wakes up, and no matter how long it's been since they had that experience that morning is the same where it's, oh, I just wish I shouldn't, whether it's, oh, I said I was going to have only one and I ended up having the whole bottle or it's, oh, I said I was going to have none and I only had, and I still had one, like whatever it is, it's waking up repeatedly with that, oh, like, I just am reliving this feeling of why did I even do that? Like, why did I do that? And so that's Groundhog Day. And so we think about that as the bottom of the pyramid. And then the next level we talked about is the abstinence challenges, right? And there are people who come in and they'll do like the alcohol a day, right? And they embrace all of the support there. And the support and all of the tools and techniques that you're providing, right? It like wraps them up in a warm blanket and makes it so that they can get through this. So it's not just the abstinence that's the thing but there's this idea that the abstinence itself is the magic pill and it's um like even with the alcohol holiday the fact that you're that they're that people are taking a holiday from it is not the magic pill it's the things that are built in around that experience that are the magic pill right and so i call these my white knuckling avoiders they're the people who are like as long as i can go 30 days and not drink that's the point right <laughs> And so they're just like gripping on counting the calendars, they're counting the days, and it all becomes about, I just have to get through this 30 days. And it's basically this hellish experience just for the sake of saying, okay, I made it 30 days, right? And so I call those my white knuckling avoiders. The next thing that we get told to do is this moderate amount, right? And so I actually break this into two categories. So the first type of Groundhog Day drinker is the white knuckling avoider. The second type is the rule-creating moderator. And we tend to see this on literal Groundhog Day, right? Which is right after dry January. It's two days after dry January, and we are actually on Groundhog Day. And um, although Groundhog Day in this context can happen at any time, I do love how like the synchronicity of it being right after dry January. And so uh, a rule-creating moderator is the person who then says, oh, I'm only going to have drinks at restaurants or I'll only drink. On the weekends, or I'm gonna have one and then I'm gonna have water in between. Whatever it is, there are these rules around the moderation aspect. And that's where I go back to, like we said in the beginning, like moderate drinkers don't do that. They're, they're not doing that. They're just drinking what they want and then stopping when they've had enough. But we mistakenly assume that these rules are the way we moderate successfully. So we've got our rule creating moderators, those are our second ones. I spent the record so much time in all three of these types like and you can go between them all throughout the cycles for a year but so the third type is the special occasion slipper and these are my sweet sweet friends who pretty much don't drink anymore but then the holidays come up or a birthday or a wedding or and this is an important distinction a special event that is not something we would historically think of as enjoyable, like a loss or a death or a relocation where it's grief, but it is kind of a once in a long time experience. So that's what makes it a quote unquote special occasion. And they just think, oh, well, it's just this one occasion or oh, it's this one circumstance. And then the next day they wake up and think, well, God, like it had been, you know, these these I, I call the people, this is what I call the people who make it like, They'll go 100 days and then be like, oh, well, now I'll just have one. And then it's just like, oh, back in, slippery slope. Or they just wake up and they think, oh, why did I even do that? Like, I just wish I. So you can see how with all three types, like it really exists on a spectrum. But what is common for all of them is that Groundhog Day experience that I just, that this is not what I wanted to have happen. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I totally get the groundhog day and not just going back to moderating, because what I see a lot of people discover, like in the alcohol days, is they're going in and they're they don't know if they're done with drinking or not. Right. Right. And so they're they're exploring their relationship with alcohol. And then I think where it becomes really difficult and people become stuck is when they know that they are done with drinking but they keep going back to it so you know again that logical part of your brain the business part is done with drinking and wants to divorce it but keeps going back to it and yeah yeah, I was definitely falled into all these categories and in and out and I chased that magical moderation pill forever (laughs) until I could let it go so and and it's funny you use Groundhog Day, another movie that I really relate to that is similar to Groundhog Day, but in a more intense is way. Is it the Ryan Reynolds one? Because I love that one, too. <laughs> well, it's Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and oh, Emily oh, yeah. Blunt. Yeah, So yep, yep, yep. That's one where he's repeating the same day <clears throat> over and over again until he gets it right. He goes and he is fighting aliens and it's an action movie. And I think like the aliens are like alcohol and you just keep going again and again until you figure it out. Then you finally get it. But anyway, so.
1: Yeah, the Ryan Reynolds one is that free guy movie. And it's the same where he like, he's the video game character, right? So he just wakes up and it's the same day. But I think there's something to be said for why Hollywood catches on to what a living hell that can be. (laughs) (laughs) this idea of why do I have to keep experiencing this
0: yeah again and again okay so how how do we get out of that what are what like we've decided you know like we know what it is we keep repeating it how do we change it yeah great question so the first kind of big Uh aha
1: moment that a lot of people need to have is to see that like oh yeah this This, these stages are not a pyramid I'm climbing with a point at the top. It's a cycle I'm stuck in and it goes around and around. So it's, it's like we go from Groundhog Day to white knuckling avoider, to rule creating moderator, to special occasion Flipper, and then we're back on Groundhog Day again. And so the great thing about seeing it as a circle or a cycle, and I just call it the Groundhog Day drinking cycle of shame, is if it's a circle, we don't have to stay on it to reach the like goal which i just call optimized af it's like it's not the top of a pyramid that we have to climb through these levels to get to it's we got to get off the circle optimized af is not even on this circle like if we're going around and around in the circle we're never going to reach it so that's kind of the first big thing is we just kind of have to go okay i have to look at through this new lens or a different lens and then the way that i have sorted it out for my clients and myself what this trifecta of change. Like, and I, aside from being a former kindergarten teacher, I also was an English teacher. So I love work.
0: <laughs> I, taught, I, I taught
1: seventh and eighth grade English language arts at an all boys school. So that was a lot of fun. But I break it down into three pillars because I did like like we said in the beginning, I had to go back and go, okay, what, what just happened? Like, why did that work? Cause it could not in my mind and no research is going to back could not be that I brain spotted one time and that just like magically changed my relationship with alcohol. There had to be more to it, right? And that's not to say that that couldn't happen for someone, but I wanted to create something that had better odds of success, right? Like I didn't want to just be like, well, let's sure hope it works great for you the way it did for me. So the first pillar of this trifecta of change, which is to answer your question of what do we do? How do we get off this cycle? Is personalized daily support. And this, I think, is something that, like I said, like with the alcohol holiday, I, I, I hear you bringing that in in a really special way, right? Like, where what makes me able to step away from a craving or a drink is not the same as what makes you able to step away from a craving or a drink. And I remember this when I, one of the paid for challenges I did was one, and I'm not naming names because they were all really good; they just weren't what I needed. But one of them was really into you have to pick like this really great fitness goal. And it's going to be such a great fitness goal that you're going to realize that alcohol is only holding you back. And the thing is, I was like in decent shape and I was, you know, riding my Peloton six times a week and I, you know, could go out and do a 5K. (laughs) It That did not do it. Like it was like, okay. And I thought, well, this will be perfect because I'm already into this. So it'll be really aligned. And it wasn't like, they'd be like, well, if you want to, you know, if you really want to drink, just go for a run. And I'm like that I would go for a run and then drink. <laughs> that didn't work. And so it started to be clear to me that it's not that going for a run isn't a good substitute. It's that it wasn't what I needed. And that can feel really overwhelming and inundated. Like people feel inundated with options. And it's like, well, what do I do? Do I go for a walk? Do I write a letter to a friend do i journal about it do i do some meditation do i you know go to church like which thing is the thing and so i just created a real easy step by step process for getting a an individualized plan for here are the things that you specifically are going to be able to reach for If and when you do want to drink. And we put that one in first because it's the easiest and it addresses sometimes in the early days, people are still like on the fence about, am I drinking or am I not? But I call it a values based nurture plan. We base it on personal value systems. And by the time we're done with it, there's a a daily component where it's like, okay, you're going to do these couple of things every day for like prevention. And I say, we don't need those five things to take any more than like 10 to 30 minute stops. And then you've got this whole backup list for, okay, but if that's not enough on a certain day and you just need a little bit more of like a pillow wrapped around you, here is your personalized list of pillows you can wrap around yourself. So that's the first pillar in this trifecta of change. And then the thing we bring in next is the brain spotting piece. And that's the part where we take, um, I feel like I'm nerding out a little bit, so stop me. (laughs) <laughs> I I love it. Okay, that's the piece where we say, "Well, how do cravings and habits work in the brain?" And the truth is, and I I actually do have like a free training I can share with anybody who I go for any of them, just reach out. They can reach out to me and just say, "Like, hey, I heard you on alcohol tipping point. I want the free training." <laughs> but the truth is with alcohol and the consequences of alcohol they are delayed right like immediately there's the feel goods and then later we've got groundhog day and one thing that's pretty standard kind of vernacular these days is that neurons that fire together wire together right so when two things happen simultaneously our brain goes oh those go together and so the problem is is never in the history of ever, with few exceptions, I'm sure, because I can't say for everything, but very rarely does one of us have an experience where we take our first sip of alcohol and immediately feel hungover and wish we hadn't had that sip. And so we have to do this process where we bring those two experiences—the now experience and the later experience—and put them in the same file. So when our brain goes, "Oh, do I want to drink?" it gets the whole picture. And so this. The closest thing that exists to this outside of more bottom brain work is like the play the tape forward strategy that I know a lot of people use. That's the closest thing most people have experienced to it. What we're doing with, with this particular method is we're saying, you don't have to play the tape forward. The tape's already in the right spot. You just have to remember the tape is there. Like, oh, that's right. It becomes effortless to remind yourself that you don't want a dream. And then the third pillar is where we take, like we talked about earlier, the information, like the stuff we know. Like, I know alcohol is not good for me. I know that it makes my sleep terrible. I know that it, you know, does whatever. And then we get that, we embody that also using a brain spotting technique. We get that down into the body so that it's like, you know it. <laughs> It's the difference yeah. between knowing something and like believing it with all your being.
0: Right. That was a lot but- of information. No, that's good. I'm I'm going to go back over it. I had some thoughts. So, so the yeah. first of your trifecta change is personalized daily support. And I like how you're talking about how you know running or that fitness goal, it wasn't like appropriate for you. So finding something that is a a, a good alternative for you, and that's going to be different for everybody. So some people love journaling or meditating or replacement drinks or whatever that looks like, like finding what works for you and then having like a go-to list of just alternative things you can do instead of drinking, right?
1: Yes. And eliminating too, like part of the importance in that too is eliminating the we use the value set to eliminate the intense trial and error phase of, well, I don't know, try going for a run, see if it works. Like, it's more like, well, let's just figure out what's going to be most likely for you to work mm. and put that on put that on your list. Let's skip the trial and error phase. Like there's still some trial and error to it, but it's a little more like dialed in from the start so that we don't have that sense of like, how come what's working for everybody else isn't working for me? Because that's a really isolating and guilt-inducing, shame-inducing, fear, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. And thank you for pointing that out. And then your second thing was tying, you know, about how habits and cravings work and tying it into brain spotting and, you know, just pointing out that We we are creatures who are hardwired for instant gratification, right? Our brain is moving us towards pleasure and away from pain in the fastest way possible, and it it's true. Like you don't you don't get the effects of alcohol, the bad effects, until the next day, and I think that's why, like antabuse, people take the medication antabuse so that they do get the bad side effects of alcohol right away and. If people are wondering what that is, that, that's, I call that the old school medication that you take. Anytime you have alcohol, anything with alcohol in it, you get violently ill right away. And so people start to associate alcohol with a negative experience instead of the positive experience because yeah. your brain forgets it's, and it's hardwired to forget negative events.
1: Well, or, or it blames the waking up for the negative event. It's like, what happened right when I felt this crappy feeling? Oh, I woke up. And so then it's like, oh, I hate the morning. Oh, I'm not a morning person. Oh, I dread my alarm clock. Because your brain is linking that to the way you feel when the alarm clock's not what made you feel crappy. It was the, you know, 12 hours <laughs> ago that's making you feel crappy. So yeah, it, it, it is effectively a, a similar process of going, well, let's get your brain to, to link the junky part with the the actual intake except we don't have to go through the experience of getting violently ill
0: you know (laughs) yeah that's nice and then the third part of the trifecta was tying the 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 head and the heart yeah yeah what we know what we logically know with what we feel like in our core
1: yeah exactly embodying the information i call it I used to call it being an informed decision maker. And then I realized, no, it's embodying the decision making where it puts the decision on autopilot without you having to think, well, what do I know? I remember when I was, so when I was teaching at this all boys school, uh, we would do all of these professional developments on how, you know, boys' brains and girls' brains and how things learn differently. And this particular study was not, and I wish I had ever like bookmarked it. I've, since tried to go back and find it, and I start to like gaslight myself, like maybe this isn't an actual study, but for all intents and purposes, we'll call it a study. <laughs> and this was just junior high brains in general. It was not necessarily gender specific. It was just junior high brains, and so they would flash these cards in front of adults and then in front of these junior high people. And it was as simple as good idea, bad idea. Just flash the card. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? It would be things like eating your vegetables and like swimming with a shark when you have an open cut bleeding on you like things that we as adults it feels easier to be like bad idea <laughs> you know but it's because we've had an experience where we have embodied that understanding like oh yeah like even I have a visceral reaction of like oh god even the thought of getting in the water with sharks and having blood on me is very like freaking me out right now <laughs> Because we have that, and because our brain is more fully developed, the junior high kids would see stuff like that, and they would still arrive at that idea, but it took like seven seven times as long for them to arrive at the idea. And so I think of that like, like that, I said earlier, between the our top brain and our bottom brain, our bottom brain is like that that rapid, like good idea, bad idea, good idea, bad idea, and then our top brain though is like, well what do I know about sharks? What do I know about blood? And then it makes the decision, right? So we want to speed that process. <laughs> we want to get to the, the quick automatic response. Uh, bad idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because now, like you said, that fast forward button, like for me is so quick. I'm like, oh, that looks like a headache in a bottle when I see the yep. wine, but it takes some time to get there. And, and so what do you think are some of the common mistakes that people keep making like when they're trying to change their drinking?
1: Yeah. Oh, great question. One of the more common mistakes, and I, I use the word mistake, but a, a lot of times what I mean is it's an impartial solution. So it's not that this thing necessarily is bad. It's that it's not the, the ticket. To, it's not like golden ticket to Willy Walker, right? Like it's, it looks like it is, but it's not. So the number, the very first thing that I try to get people to understand, and this again is something from that pre-training. It's one of the three main mistakes is we assume that the ment has anything to do with success. And by that, I mean, we, you know, We start to count our days or we start to count how many drinks is appropriate and what is enough and what is not enough. And we look at it as a numbers game. And so the analogy I give to people is, well, let's, let's look at it this way. Let's say that you had a friend who you love, right? Like just think of your best friend in the whole world. That person who, no matter how long it's been or how, you know, Often you talk to them, you always just like pick right back up where you left off, right? Which in friendship is a great thing when drinking that's Groundhog Day. But with that friend, can you imagine getting on the phone every Sunday and saying, okay, pull out your calendar. It looks like on... Friday, we're both going to be at that birthday party and that's going to be about four hours. And what we have been told is that the healthy amount of time for us to spend together is because we're women seven hours a week. So let's not talk the first four days of the week so that we have banked up enough to talk on at this birthday party for all four hours. Like we, that is insane. <laughs> like we just don't do that. But for some reason that's how we treat alcohol like okay there's this number that is like that there's a whole soapbox with this number anyways but for whatever for all intents and purposes we've got this number and then we assume that if we can stick with that number that's somehow healthy and what like hold on my train kind of derailed (laughs) what's Actually, the way you would actually find out if you had a healthy relationship with someone, and this is true, like working as a therapist, right? Like we work on, you know, toxic relationships, abusive relationships, things like that. And we have to say, okay, well, let's look at this relationship in three different scenarios and we'll decide if it's healthy or not. First of all, how do you feel when you're actively engaging with this person? Which is to say, like, you and I are actively engaging right now, or you and your best friend are on the phone, or you know, hanging out together. And then the next situation is how do you feel when you're sharing space but not actively engaging? So that would be maybe y'all are at a social function but not talking to each other. You're in separate conversations with someone else. And then how do you feel when you're away from the person? Like you can't, you you know, you're not going to see them. Maybe they've left town or something. Like, how do you feel about that? And then the fourth question is how do you feel about your answers? So we apply this to alcohol and we say, well, how do you feel when you're actively drinking? Well, how do you feel? And, you know, those answers can range from, oh, I feel great or I'm in my head. I feel stressed because I'm in my head thinking, well, how much longer, you know, or like "How how much is left in the bottle? And then the second question is, well, how do you feel when you're sharing space but not actively engaged, which is maybe I'm at, you know, a party and others around me are drinking, but I'm not. And that, again, can range from, oh, I feel so empowered to, oh, I feel miserable and I just want to go home. And how do you feel when you're away from it? Are you missing it? Are you thinking about when you get to be by it again? Do you feel relieved that it's not around? These are all, you know, or do you feel great that it's not around? Like These are all questions that we can ask ourselves about alcohol and get a much clearer picture of where we stand with it and what our next step should be. Rather than how many days have you gone or can you go without it? So, I know you asked for three mistakes, and I know we're running close up to time, so we may have to like. No, Cuba. Cuba, that's I love, really. I can, I
0: can send people the video. I do
1: have the pre-training. We're all going through all three too, so I don't want people to feel shortchanged because I get wordy.
0: <laughs> oh no, go ahead. I mean, that's really interesting. So, the number one mistake you were talking about was how we. Measure our relationship with alcohol. Usually, when we're changing it, we're counting days or we're counting drinks or whatever. We're doing a lot of math. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of math. Yeah, and and then you had those four questions to ask yourself. And can you go over those four questions again, or just real quick, what are the four questions? Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It's how do you feel with it? How do you feel around it? How do you feel away from it? And how do you feel about your answers to those three questions?
0: And I could see that always changing too. Absolutely. And then what are the other two common mistakes that people make?
1: So in a nutshell, and again, I go so much more into it, like, But in a nutshell, one of them is, let me wrap my head around this real quick because I'm trying to cram things in my brain right now. We, uh, we make the mistake of using a 30-day challenge as just the 30 days. And I liken this to if we, and, and we don't build in these other supports, right? Like, the, it's not that the 30 days is bad. It's just it by itself is not the thing. We've got to build in these, others, these other supports. And the, that I liken to if you have like a pile of dirty clothes, like I call it like your stinky workout clothes. And then you put it in the closet for 30 days and it's like, great. And your ring smells fresh and your body is clean and the clothes you're wearing smell great. And then at the end of the 30 days, you pick out those clothes and put them back on your body as though, well, it's been 30 days, so I can just put them back on now, but that you've not done anything with the clothes. You have to do something with the clothes in order for that to be a complete process. Right. So. Like I said, like with Alcohol a Day and like the the Optimize AF Academy, which is the one that I run, it's like we're we're giving people the like, let's do the laundry during this 30 days. Let's not shove the laundry in the corner for 30 days. Let's do the laundry during the 30 days. So at the end of the 30 days, you've got clean clothes.
0: (laughs) Right. So it's not just removing alcohol, it's doing the other, you know, personal growth things and bigger you know deeper dives into wire drinking and all of that okay that makes sense and then the third mistake is what is
1: the third mistake i'm gonna space on it now because i'm like feeling like i don't want us to run long because i want to respect your time the third mistake. i'm good Mm -hmm. i'm good on time oh the third mistake is the piece we actually already talked about this one a little bit which is the idea that neurons that fire together wire together and we're not we're not getting that information into the right spot in our brain. We're just kind of learning about it and we're understanding it, but we're not embodying it, if mm. that makes sense. Like we like we read up and I am such a nerd. Like I will read all the information and give me all of the studies and all of the podcasts. And like, you know, that Huberman Lab podcast is a big one. that I swear everyone under the sun forwards me all the time. And I'm always so appreciative because they're like, this makes me think of you because it's all of the data, right? But we then assume that knowing it is enough and we have to, we have to know it. We have to get it in our body where that fast acting part of our, we have to do the experiment where when someone flashes the shark card, we go bad idea, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think we could get into that like, um, Analysis paralysis. And I mean, I think podcasts, of course, and books and everything are amazing, but it's kind of yeah. like, you know, if you're going to bake a cake, you, you don't just get out all the tools and ingredients and then not actually bake the cake. Like you got to do some work. And some of the work is connecting the head and the heart again. Yeah, this yeah. is so interesting. Well, I want to have you back to to talk some more just because I think you have a lot to share and I really appreciate it what what would you say to someone who's listening and they feel stuck in their own groundhog day and what would you have to say to them
1: yeah that's a great question I would say that the first thing to do is to figure out where are you on this groundhog day cycle of shame right is is that what you're experiencing because if it is like i said we just step off and there are tools and strategies for exactly how to step off but kind of we can't step off it if we don't know we're on it so that's where i would say well you know listen go back and listen to the different types of groundhog day drinkers and see if something resonates with you or not i have another free video i can email people where i just go through the types and i actually talk about the strengths and then struggles of each type so that once you know which one you are, you know, okay, well, here's what's already going to be easier for me and I can build on that. And here's where I'm going to have a harder time and I'm going to need to look for those tools. I'm just very big into individualized everything. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I think that's what I would say. I would say that if you can start to recognize whether or not that's the actual problem is that you're on this Groundhog Day cycle of shame, then that's then, then you automatically know, oh, okay then I need to change my my marching orders. I need to try this other, you know, more whole brain body-based plan, which could be the alcohol a day. Did I say that? Like that word came out kind of weird when I said it. Or it could be, you know, Optimize AF Academy or any of the uh, number of other things people are doing. But at the end of the day, the answer is not just try to go another 30 days and see what happens. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> if
1: you're on this cycle of shame, that's not going to work for you.
0: And I think, you know, just to offer people hope, even, even in those movies, Groundhog Day and Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. they they figure it out and they get out yeah. of it. And so can yeah. you. And we, yeah. you know, Carolyn and I have gotten out of it and I've seen other people who get unstuck and it is possible and you can change. It's so. more
1: than Yeah. It,
0: and it's, it's actually not that complicated. It's just
1: taking the step. Like they're, they're not hard steps.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, how can people find you?
1: Oh, yeah. Great question. So the easiest and most all encompassing way is Instagram. I'm just at Carolyn Robisto. And everything in there has links to whatever, or if you don't find what you want, just DM me because I am a real life human being and just say, Hey, I heard about, you know, the free training or whatever, and I'll send it to you. And then, like you mentioned, I do have the brain unblocked podcast for the people who are like, not quite ready to reach out yet. And they're a little bit like, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't want to message a stranger on Instagram and they want to kind of like stalk me a little bit first. That's totally fine. I'm the same way. Like I will, I will binge someone's content for a little while just to get a feel for them before I feel ready to reach out. So either of those ways is good, but I would love for people just to reach out.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. Say, me too. Like we're just real people. I'm just yeah. like a oh. mom in Boise, Idaho. You're just a gal <laughs> on a houseboat. Well, it's- sure I sure am, Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to future conversations.
1: I really am too. Thank you so much. Even for opening my squirrely email. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. Please share and review the show so you can help other people too.